This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. You may be seated. What a joy, privilege, and honor to be here. Um, I may be slightly jet-lagged, but certainly I wouldn't even call it sacrifice to be here. It's pleasure, it's privilege, it's honor. Barbara, teachers, Pastor Bob, Ellen, Pastor Rob, Shauna, uh, the students, uh, what a great privilege to be here and to be a part of this occasion. I do a lot of graduations, especially this time of the year. I'm all over the world. But every week we're graduating students. Every week I'm signing electronically hundreds of diplomas. But each one comes to my desk personally, right across the board, India, Africa, Central, South America, Caribbean, Europe, UK. No one diploma goes out without me personally holding it putting that seal on, I could delegate it to my staff, but I wanted to do that, and I'm going to do it a million times, because <laughs> that's my goal, one million students. We're at about 250,000 so far, maybe more, I've lost count, the records could pull it up, I have a digital record of every student we've graduated, and uh, I'm pressing for one million students, and we've probably about a quarter of the way there, and you, each one of you are one in a million, but you're not just part of a crowd, a million, each one of you is unique, each one of you is special, each one of you is called, and you've all paid a price to graduate today, not so much to get a diploma in your hand or to hang on the wall in your uh, study, but it's the word that has been placed in your spirit, in your heart that has shaped you in character, skills, anointing. So today I do want to address the students, but I've kind of made my message not only for them, but for you as well, for each one of you. And I'm going to keep it brief because uh, we have a lot of ground to cover today. But I do want to speak to each one of the graduates, to each one of the staff, and to each one who is here today. Um, I was reading... In the book of Acts, chapter 11, and verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. This took place in Antioch. Um, I have been persuaded of late that the church is not growing at the rate that we should be growing. Uh, in the book of Acts, a great many were added. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. At the gate called Beautiful, 5,000 were saved. The Bible says the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. How many of you would like to see the church grow every single day? Not through Christians shifting from one movement to another, but through new births, the greatest of all miracles. Uh, this is what drives me in what I'm doing. I'm, I'm looking for church growth, not for the sake of number or for ego, but because we want to plunder hell. And as Reinhard Bonnke says, uh, populate heaven. 
Uh, it's not God's desire that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. It's not God's plan that nations should not hear the gospel. The, Jesus said before he returns, this gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. How? By people that have been trained, equipped, skilled in the word, in the anointing, who have gone with a sense of passion and mission and have uh, uh, faced risks and sacrificed to get the word to these regions. But it's not just for Africa and for India, but it's even for the United States of America. Uh, your family members, relatives, family, friends, colleagues at work are in darkness. There was a stage when in this nation, uh, over 60%, over 60% would be in church every single Sunday. Uh, probably one of the highest rates of people that have confessed to being born again. And yet, that number has decreased. People have left church. They've fallen away. They've turned their back on the Lord. One of the questions that was in the skit is there security, you know, is there security for the saints? Yes, from God's perspective. But there's one thing that he'll not do is crush you in his hand. He'll not allow you to be plucked out of his hand, but he'll not crush you. You can step out any time you want. And people have because they've been persuaded by popular opinion, by secularization, by the attack of the enemy, who has thought that he could pull them away, and he's been pretty accurate at what he's doing. He's had thousands of years to hone his craft, to deceive, to tempt, to lure away, to ensure that people are offended. And so people have walked away from the grace of God. It's not God's desire, but they have. And we have a huge task. We were singing Jesus is going to come soon in our worship. I believe that with all my heart. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But before he returns, this gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth. And that includes the United States of America. That includes right here in, in this area, Memphis and Olive Branch. It's, it's this region that is your responsibility. This is where it starts. This is your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, I want to see the church grow. When I say I want to, I say that on behalf of God. He has not changed his mind. The Lord added daily to the church. He is not subtracting for the church, I can guarantee you. He is not subtracting. He is not holding back. It's God's desire, but for humanity to hear, how will they hear without a preacher? And everyone's, well, I'm not called to be a preacher. Yeah, I'm not talking about standing behind the podium on a stage before a congregation, but I'm talking about the platform of your heart, the platform of your life. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they go unless they are sent? How will they go unless they're equipped? How will they go unless they train? Because the ministry is to equip the saints for the work of service. And what's your work of service? Souls. Serving in your church. Acts of compassion. These are things that we address in our training. It's not just so much that we wanted to fill your head with information, but your heart with revelation. 
that becomes persuaded in this ministry, the ministry of the believer, not the ministry of the ordained, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, but the believer, the everyday believer, so that we can effectively share this word to our generation. If we go down a few verses in Acts chapter 11, and uh, we see that in that time, uh, it says in verse 25, then Barnabas was uh, departed from Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled and the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians. We see that Barnabas's ministry was extensive, and he was fulfilling the role of a teacher, a prophet. Uh, in fact, Barnabas was the first one who would come and lay the uh, the land, the title to land at the apostles' feet. He was called an encourager. He was a teacher. He was the one who went and sought to find Paul and took him and introduced him to the apostles. This was a man who had a great reputation. In fact, later on, it would be uh, Paul and Barnabas that would go out together and when they raised this man from this crippled state, they, they, they began to honor Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas and Paul were horrified. They shared their body. They, we men just like you. We're not gods. We're just men anointed, called, trained, equipped. But we're men. There's a few qualities that I see in Barnabas that I want to speak about. And it says about Barnabas in verse 24, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. I want to pause there. A great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas, I would like to say single-handedly, we're never single-handed in the ministry it's always God who's at work in us, both to will and to do. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, in other words, we are wholly dependent on God, the anointing, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But in reality, Barnabas, his life, his ministry, influenced a whole bunch of people into the kingdom, and it says, and a great many people were added to the Lord through his life. There are the books in heaven. There is the book, the Lamb's book of life, but there are books, journals, where the accounts of the saints are recorded, where our works are recorded. Aren't you glad that it's not our sins? be a pretty thick book, but it's not. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, as we so beautifully sang. We're the product of the grace of God. The books are not keeping an account of our wrongs, of our weaknesses, of our flaws, but they are keeping an account of our works. And 
Barnabas finds his name recorded in the Bible. Many others' names are recorded in the Bible. Paul, Peter, Philip, Stephen. But Barnabas is included there. Ananias, and so I could go on and name these different people that spring to mind. Deborah, and Esther, and Elijah, and Elisha. But Barnabas finds his name recorded in the Bible. We cannot have our names recorded in the Bible because that book is sealed. You can't add to it. You can't subtract to it. But our names can be recorded in the journals of eternity. And I don't know about you, but for me, I would like behind my name that it would say something similar, that as a result of my ministry, a great many people were added to the Lord. I would like heaven to record that my life was fruitful, that through the grace and the calling and the anointing and the ability and the strength and the wisdom, I can go on and on and talk about the attributes and the characteristics that come as a result of His presence and power in my life, and in your life, and in our lives, because without Him we can do nothing. We need Him. Oh, how we need Him, we sung. I need Him. We need Him. But we don't just need Him to avoid hell and make heaven. We don't just need Him to get our name in the book. But as a result, as the overflow of our name in the book, as a result of His presence, power in our lives, that a great many people be added, that we would influence our generation. And I think of Barnabas, how he contributed to the state of the church. His life made a difference to the church of Antioch and then later on many other churches. Your life can make a difference to this church, to the church, to this region. And so it should. I um, once preached a message, I think way back here in about 15, 18 years ago, was entitled, Known in Heaven, Feared in Hell. I want to add another line to my next delivery of that message as I've developed it and changed it. I haven't taught it yet. The three things is, I want to be known in heaven, I want to be feared in hell, and I want to be respected in the church. Barnabas was known in heaven. (laughs) He was known as a soul winner, as an encourager, as a giver, as a man who recognized the potential in someone else that would live sacrificially for Paul, for the advancement of Paul's ministry, that would help put him on the pages of eternity that he would encourage him into his destiny, who would go and rescue John Mark and build a man that had become useless and make him again useful to Paul at a later stage in his life. Barnabas was known as a good man. What's a good man? Uh, A man who was liberal-hearted, 
who wasn't about finding fault with the church, but he could see the potential. That's what it means to be a good man. It's not just moral excellence, good behavior, character, but he was a good man. He was liberal-minded. He wasn't nitpicking, finding the flaws and the faults, but he could see the possibilities, the potential, just like when everyone was afraid of Saul, Barnabas went and he got Saul and he took him and introduced him to the apostles. Everyone saw Saul as a threat. Barnabas looked beyond the threat and looked at the potential of his life and said, this man needs to be introduced to the apostles because there's greatness inside of him. That's what a good man does. He sees the potential in those sitting on your left and on your right, in front of you, behind you. He sees the potential of someone lying in the ditch, bleeding and dying, and will invest of his own resource to recover and restore him uh, and go out of his way for him. That's what a good man does. That's what we should do as a result of being equipped, trained, developed in skills and qualities for life and ministry. That's what every believer should do. Could you imagine if each one of us could, through our lives, through our influence, encourage the weak, help the struggling, give aid to the poor, whereas the word says uh, of true religion is to care for the widows and the orphans, that we could be compassionate and do something about the state of our world practically, not just theologically, but practically, if we could build others and not just our own reputation and build our own ego, but help someone else to become known in heaven and feared in hell and respected in the church, that we could, as a result of our passion, because of our message, because of our life, have a great many people added to the church and to the Lord. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I mean, you will remember this from your studies. If you look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus commanded them to stay in Jerusalem. He didn't just say, now get trained, sit at my feet for three years. But after three years of intensive teaching, he said, you got to stay in Jerusalem because you need this power to do what this teaching has given to you. You can't do this in your own strength and ability. And so Barnabas had moral excellence. He had character. He was not narrow-minded and nitpicking and finding fault. He saw the potential, but he was also a man full of the Holy Spirit. And we know that being a Christian is not just the indwelling of the Spirit, but it's the empowerment of the Spirit. If I was preaching in a church that has a knowledge about the Holy Spirit, the indwelling, but not the empowerment, my first message in that church would be Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I say I'm unashamedly Pentecostal, <laughs> but I'm not Pentecostal in Pentecostalism. 
you know, the, the traits of Pentecostalism, but I'm talking about the upper room experience where the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit that filled that house filled this house. Where the fire that ignited them ignited me so that I may be a witness to my generation. And it's uh, the ability to not only operate in the gifts of the Spirit, but to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as well. And Barnabas had that. He was a good man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says he was also full of faith. And certainly, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And people have so lowered their faith expectancy because of the struggles and the challenges that they're believing for very little. They only use their faith when they're facing a crisis. But I'm talking about not just faith for a crisis, but faith for souls, faith for miracles, faith for your church to advance and grow and uh, to expand daily, and faith for doing something that would make a difference to your generation. And as a result of being a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, a great many people were added to the Lord. And I want to end there that we should have that reputation in our lives that a great many people were added to the Lord. In my first 20 years of ministry, by the grace of God, I was able to reach over a million souls in the villages of Africa. I went and I traveled to over 300 villages or close to 400 villages and took the gospel to many where the gospel had never been preached, where no missionary had ever gone. I climbed mountains, I went into barren areas, I went into places of civil war, of violence, to take that gospel. And after winning over a million souls, and certainly I never just made decisions, it was never my conviction to just get people to raise a hand and pray a prayer. I used to distribute truckloads of Bibles, Bible study programs, thanks to a very good Assemblies of God missionary friend of mine. I became his biggest distributor. He could sit at home and write letters to his partners of what was taking place, and he would just give me all his materials, and I would take it into those villages by the military truck road. The military supported my ministry in the war zones. They would deliver the Bible materials for me <laughs> at their expense because I was getting the word into these places that were war-ridden and violence, and they had to acknowledge wherever I went, peace broke out. And I did my work there. And then when I came to America, and God was moving in revival in this place, right this place, well, down the road, God began to speak to me and say, we've got to change our strategy from just meetings to training to equipping the saints. And that's where I made the decision that I'm going to have a million, not just graduates, but a million world changers who would have the love of God, spirit-filled lives with character, a passion for the harvest, a loyalty for the church, 
and who would be raised in leadership. You know these things. I'm sure you've heard it over and over, those core values that I have. And I've been faithful to that. I'm still winning souls. The million has been added to subsequently. But my focus has changed to equipping, training. I was in India in January, and uh, uh, we've opened in last, last year, say, 12 Bible schools. This year, it's already at 35 Bible schools. Um, in the face of severe persecution, I'm not working in an area that is very peaceful. The, the legislation says there's freedom of religion as long as it's Hinduism or Islam. But if you're Christian, it's, uh, the police will stand by when believers are being violated, killed, persecuted, and just stand and watch, maybe even laugh at the process. The world is not friendly to our faith. There's hostility, danger. But in that place of danger, they are opening schools, building churches. The saints are being equipped and empowered. Do you know that over 80% of rural pastors haven't even had basic Bible training? So I'm starting with pastors, just training them, and then they're going to their churches and training the people with the same material that you've got in Africa, in tribes, in villages, in Ethiopia, in Islamic areas. We are raising schools. But for this nation, we need it as well. I'm passionate about Bible training. I want a million graduates, but not just with a diploma on their wall, but the spirit that is found in Barnabas, the Holy Spirit, the anointing, knowledge, skills, and as a result, a great many people be added to the kingdom. That's what it's all about. Let's stand and give God a shout of praise. Come on. Your lives are going to make a difference to your generation. But not just to the graduates. I want to bring the challenge to each one. May your life bring the gospel the light, the grace, the glory, the power of God to your generation. Let me pray for each one of you and specifically for the graduates. Lord, thank you for these men and women that are in this house today, leaders, anointed leaders, called leaders, believers. God, touch their lives, bless their lives, fill their lives, anoint their lives, use their lives like Barnabas to contribute to the state and the health of the church. May the reputation of each one of us be that we made a difference to our generation. I prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.